for for this panel, we have uh, three distinguished speakers, and their talks are going to be around the broad but very interesting theme of post-liberal conservative perspectives and principles. Um, and our first speaker, uh, Eric Hoffman, will be um, beamed in remotely. Eric is a professor of... Oh, oh, before I move on to that, if you have taken any photographs or you've taken notes of what speakers have said, uh, please put them on social media. And if you do put them on social media, we'd be most grateful if you could use the hashtag postliberal so we can all engage um, with one another, share, share with those and, and uh, enhance our, um, our community of post-liberal um, if you're not opposed to those interested in post-liberal and future of conservatism, and that will enhance, I think, our conference. So if you could do that, I'd be most grateful. So Eric is a professor of politics at Birkbeck College, University of London in the United Kingdom. Uh, I recommend his book to you, White Shift, Immigration, Populism, and the Future of White Majorities. It's an incredibly interesting read. Also, The Rise and Fall of Anglo-American, uh, Anglo-America, uh, that was published in Harvard 2004, and The Orange Order. He's also the co-editor uh, of uh, Political Demo uh, Democracy, which is also very interesting. He's been published in places like the New York Times, Times of London, Financial Times. There are other newspapers without the name Times in as well, like the Wall Street Journal. So I think by magic, we can put Eric onto the screen and he will delight us with his presentation. Am I there yet? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I, I just saw the bottom. Anyhow, um, thank you very much. I dearly wished I could have been with you. I unfortunately got COVID uh, just a few days before and I'm still just getting a thin second line. So I'm afraid I can't can't come, which is a real shame, but thank you for organizing such a, a wonderful conference. I know many of you anyway. Um, today, essentially, the, t the title of my talk is Toward a Liberal Post-Liberalism. And um, we heard John O'Sullivan earlier talk about many things in liberalism being admirable, and I, I think I share that view of, of John's that actually many things are worth conserving in liberalism. Um, the principles that particularly I find interesting and important are those of procedural liberalism, constitutional liberties, free speech, due process, equal treatment under the law, scientific reason, orderly transfers of power in democracy, that these are not just compatible with a revival of conservative cultural values, but are absolutely necessary for them to succeed. So the first message really is, I th actually think liberals and conservatives have a lot in common, and we have a lot of common challenges, a very powerful challenge, which I would call a cultural emergency. We really need to work with uh, sensible classical liberals uh, on this common challenge, common threat. Um, because I think what we have in our culture, and I do think culture is pretty much the only issue conservatives should be focusing on. I think the other issues are largely peripheral, really need to be focusing on cultural questions. What we face is as institutionalized anti-conservatism in high culture. 
a more than that, actually political prejudice, which is often quite open in terms of a whole series of things, everything from hiring to promotion to whether you want your child to marry somebody who is a conservative. And I think that um, a pushback in the culture that moves it towards a more uh, free speech oriented and tolerant culture uh, will very much help to allow conservatism to flourish in a way that it can't now because of these strong prejudices that exist in, in the high culture. Um, so I think we need to work with true liberals, not people who go by the name liberal, but are actually what I would term cultural socialists. We need to work with true liberals against the dominant progressivism in the elite culture. Um, and that is, a, in, a, in a way, subverting not only conservatism, but liberalism itself. I think we need to focus laser-like on culture, um, that we are, the hour is, is late, actually. Um, and one of my frustrations with many conservatives, including populist conservatives, is the degree to which they become distracted by what I consider um, political economic issues, which really are in many ways, I think, secondary. It's not that I don't have views on uh, foreign policy and economics and vaccines and so on, but these really are not central and should not be sucking up as much energy from conservatives as they have been. Um, and not only that, some conservatives have fallen into the trap of actually going towards political illiberalism and uh, saying warm things about autocrats, which is a real own goal as far as the core concerns, which have to be cultural. Um, so it's vital, therefore, I think that conservatism stand uh, with uh, uh, liberals when it comes to resisting autocracy, to stand for political liberalism and freedom. Um, but because what I see really emerging, uh, and this is through a lot of my work on social surveys and public opinion, is we have a rising generation that is deeply illiberal and deeply prejudiced against conservatives, uh, much more so than older generations. And even if you control for political ideology, a far leftist over the age of 55 is 30 to 40 points in many cases more tolerant than a far leftist under the age of 30. Um, so we have a huge looming problem, and we are. This is not because these people are young and don't own a home. Uh, people have to disabuse themselves. This is not an economic problem. This is a mind virus that has gripped the conscience of a lot of younger people. And this is something we have to get serious about. And we cannot pretend that economic um, selves are going to change this. We're in a struggle between what I term cultural socialism and cultural liberalism, which is actually more also con uh, compatible with conservatism. The, the cultural liberal worldview, again, is about free speech, equal treatment, due process, scientific rationality. The cultural socialist worldview is about um, psychological and emotional protection for historically marginalized identity groups, and it is about equal outcomes for uh, identity groups. Those, that is the overriding value set for cultural socialism, and they are willing to sacrifice civil liberties to those values. Uh, and this is something I outlined in the Manhattan Institute report that I, I recently did on the culture war in the United States. You can see question after question, um, these big, big divides. And generation is a major predictor of more intolerance. So this culture war is, I think, going to define our politics in the next uh, few decades. Uh, the big questions are going to be cultural rather than economic, um, and, and we really need to get conservatives much more on that page. 
What we face is not a classical authoritarianism of the Putin variety, but an emergent authoritarianism from below. Thinking of society in two layers as state and individual is outmoded. We need to think in terms of three layers, the state, administrative institutions in the middle, and citizens below. And much of the authoritarianism and the threat to liberty is coming from that middle layer of institutions stimulated by activists who are trying to change culture from below and trying to lean on these institutions to enforce their dictates. And what they're hoping to create is a deeply intolerant culture. Uh, some of you may have seen the New York Times piece um, against cancel culture that's just come out. And some of the comments are really revealing. A lot of progressives think, hey, this is just consequences. Uh, if I don't like your speech and I shun you, that's just consequences. Um, in, in their worldview, being political, politically prejudiced has nothing to do with being illiberal. It's, it's really quite astounding. You have a whole section of society that does not believe in a free speech culture. That's something that needs to change. Uh, and we need to do something to change that and work with good faith liberals to do that. Um, this political intolerance stems from the fact that uh, ideology, political beliefs, uh, are the most important identity for many on the cultural left who dominate in our institutions. That 8% uh, in the U.S. and 13% in Britain identified by Warren Commons' Hidden Tribes report as the so-called progressive activists, disproportionately metropolitan and white, heavily educated, this group uh, is deeply illiberal. Um, they believe that if you say something that shows you're a conservative or that offends or could potentially offend a member of a historically marginalized group, it's open season on you and you can be dehumanized and demonized. Deeply illiberal creed. Um, and so we have this problem of growing political intolerance from the cultural left. And uh, I, I see this as a sort of key force that uh, conservatives need to fight against. And it's rooted in wokeness, which actually has a scientific definition, which is the sacralization, making sacred of historically marginalized race, gender, and sexual identity groups. So that sacralization leads to the intolerance uh, which underpins this new cultural socialism. Uh, and you see it in many ways. For example, you can see if you take Ivy League students, uh, the FIRE surveys contain about 55,000 uh, students from the top 150 universities in the United States, um, that you can see the willingness to date a, a Republican, uh, or willingness to date a Trump supporter is, you know, it is sort of around 10%. It's extremely low amongst those who are who are not already Trump supporters. I mean, this is sort of, now you may say that's trivial, everyone can date whoever they like, except for the fact that that attitude is also connected to being willing uh, to discriminate uh, against a Republican for a job and also to be in favor of cancel culture. So we have this political intolerance rooted in this sacralization of minorities. Um, this is this has got to be a key focus for conservative politics, this focus on the cultural. It should be dwarfing other factors. Um, now, it's of course, comes along with other conservative, uh, culturally conservative post-liberal programs, including uh, controlled immigration, for example, including um, uh, emphasizing the importance of social cohesion. But I think this has to be a central focus that brings liberals, uh, classical liberals and conservatives together. And that going after too many other issues, such as the vaccine, vaccine issue, such as lowering tax, such as net zero, such as foreign policy. I think these are distractions. By all means, have policies on these, 
but don't pour your energy into them because they are second order issues, I believe. Um, Because we're living through the heyday of the cultural left, the ideology that I term left modernism, which emerged in the early 1900s as an attack uh, by white Anglo-Saxon Protestant left-wing intellectuals in the United States against their own ethnic group. Uh, We see that emerging strongly in the 1910s with figures like Randolph Bourne, for example, who urged members of his sort of New England, those of New England Yankee background to basically become cosmopolitan, turn their back on their own um, ethnic group and embrace diversity and multi, uh, multicultural diversity. They, while at the same time urging ethnic minorities not to lose their identity and not to assimilate. That paradigm, which dates from the mid-1910s, uh, has more or less uh, strengthened, uh, especially since the 1960s. But what's happened is that the the modernist half of left modernism, the emphasis on that Daniel Bell analyzed in his book, The Cultural Contradictions of Capitalism, which is in, a very influential book for me, um, this idea of uh, diversity, change, anti-tradition, that was sort of the first thrust of modernism in art and architecture and so forth. But then that has been joined by cultural socialism, this idea of elevating um, historically marginalized groups as being more virtuous and more moral, also more fragile and more in need of white saviorism. Um, but a, a kind of, almost a kind of worship of these groups as totems, as somehow unsullied by modernity. Um, and, and that sort of morphed into this deeply intolerant um, cultural socialism, which is drawing more and more support from younger people. Um, I mentioned that. So, for example, the firing of James Damore, the Google engineer who questioned the firm's gender identity policies, just bringing up scientific facts on an internal memo. Uh, Two-thirds of people under 25 in my surveys uh, in the United States and in Britain favor the firing of Damore, compared to only barely a third of those over the age of 55. And I think that kind of gives you an indication of what's coming down the road. Uh, And I don't think we're prepared for this. A few editorials at the New York Times or The Economist is not going to put a stop to this, or Harper's. It's just not going to put a stop. Uh, This is baked into the generational cake. These people will be entering our organizations and upending the more tolerant culture that already exists there. Um, So we're going to have to actually fight a cultural battle against this growing tide of intolerance and anti-conservative prejudice that is rising. And I think Ed West captures a lot of this quite well uh, in his book, Small Men on the Wrong Side of History, actually. Um, The agent, the sort of advanced guard for this revolution uh, is that middle layer of institutions, the HR departments, the um, human rights commissions, if we're talking about Canada, the illiberal speech norms uh, in elite institutions and elite social circles, the kangaroo courts uh, within these institutions, um, some of which I've been on the receiving end of and some of you may have been as well. And then finally, of course, hate speech laws uh, and, 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 and regulation of the Internet, which are, are very much, again, uh, politically slanted. Uh, this cultural socialism is, is rooted in the 1960s ideas of, Paul, of, of Marcuse on um, repressive tolerance, this idea of not tolerating conservative ideas because somehow they will magically lead to authoritarianism. Of course, that's never demonstrated and there's no, uh, no empirical evidence for that. But hey, I mean, while, while you're letting your prejudices rip, why not go all the way? Uh, so what we've, what we've got then is this, this looming um, cultural socialism that is seeping into all our institutions, that is conquering in a way from the bottom up. It's not a classical top-down Putin-esque kind of authoritarianism. 
Uh, I think conservatives need to work with uh, centrist liberals to try and fight against this tide. Um, and so, and, and here I would sort of distinguish between liberalism uh, in terms of procedure, uh, liberalism in law and politics, and the, the word liberalism, which is sometimes used to also mean modernism in Bell's terminology, that anti-traditionalism and cultural socialism in the arts and culture. I actually don't believe there is any logical connection between num- between procedural liberalism and this left modernism, which has uh, exploded since the 1960s. You can have a liberal framework, uh, and they have it in, in places like Korea and Japan. You can have a, a procedural liberal f- uh, framework, but simply have a different set of cultural values grafted onto that liberal framework. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to evolve towards left modernism. Daniel Bell, for example, um, talks about being a liberal in politics and a conservative in culture. Uh, That's sort of what I'm driving at. Isaiah Berlin makes the distinction between negative and positive liberalism. We need negative liberalism. We need that idea of procedural liberty without the positive liberty, the forcing. A good example of this is you need to tolerate diversity in a liberal society, but you do not need to prefer diversity in a liberal society. So the idea of celebrating and preferring diversity is a coercive left modernist idea, but the idea of tolerating diversity is a negative liberal idea I think we should all be on board with. So I'm very much in favor of defending negative liberal principles such as free speech, equal treatment, due process, and so on against its enemies, whether authoritarians abroad, as in Russia and China, or the emergent authoritarians of the woke left, which are surging uh, through our institutions. Um, In the last section, what I want to do is sort of look at the how. How do we get there? Um, And I'm not sure this is always fleshed through enough. Uh, I think we really have to get serious about bureaucracy and about the state. We have a problem in that a lot of politicians, even populist politicians, talk a lot, have great sound bites, but don't have the policy follow through and the policy chops. We saw that with Trump to a large extent. Um, even though there are some of his policies which he enacted, such as uh, with regard to the border, which I think were effective, in a lot of cases there was a lot of talk with very little policy follow-through. With Boris Johnson and the Conservatives, we have the reverse problem. There are some useful policy entrepreneurs, people like Kemi Badenoch, for example. You have the Sewell Report, the Academic Freedom Bill. Um, there are some people doing some good things, but Johnson, Johnson is too shy and too timid to actually make this central to his pitch. He's shying away from the culture war, uh, A, because he's not really committed to it, it seems to me. It's not really what he's about. Um, but secondly, simply being scared of the progressive media and what it's going to say about him and his party. Um, so what you actually need is a combination of people who are willing to campaign on and talk about the culture war issues, but also to have a systematic plan to march back through these institutions, which are advancing the ideas of cultural socialism and subverting um, uh, the will of, of, of the majority of the population. Um, if you look at the acts, actions of, of a Chris Rufo, the activist in the United States, and some of the things Ron DeSantis has done around critical race theory. Now, I don't agree with bans on critical race theory in universities, but I do agree with uh, bans on critical race theory in K-12 education. And I think uh, Rufo and DeSantis have done a very good job with uh, with pushing that. And it just shows that sort of practical politics, the organization, getting the, the you know, draft legislation that you can then roll out across different states 
uh, you have to have that effective policy network to get things done. And we need a concerted program then to take back the institutions. It is not illiberal for elected governments to override the will of public institutions, apart from those such as the courts, which have constitutionally specified um, autonomy, and that must be respected, with universities, the individual lecturers and professors' autonomy and, and freedom must be respected, but not the right of the universities themselves to, uh, for example, cancel and fire uh, and, and impose whatever values they feel on their staff and students. So not the institution, but the individuals within universities should have have rights that are protected, but not the institution. Um, so other than these institutions, such as courts and to some degree universities, it's very important that the government actually go into and try and intervene and reform institutions and open them up to political scrutiny with the aim of making them politically neutral and more representative of society than they are. Otherwise, they are going to simply recruit from the same set of people with the same beliefs, which reproduces, a again, uh, a constituency that's very sort of sympathetic to cultural socialism. And this doesn't matter whether we're talking about the Quality and Human Rights Commission, the BBC, uh, or even to some degree universities reproducing their uh, in Britain, nine to one left to right skew, or in the United States, 14 to one left to right skew if we're talking about the social sciences. Um, I prioritize the liberty of individuals over that of the autonomy of institutions in my liberalism. And so if an institution wants to oppress an individual, I think it is legitimate for the government to step in and interdict that institution and prevent it from oppressing the liberty of the individual. And that means employees should have the right to express themselves freely on social media, for example, without facing punishment for legal speech, unless the employer can prove to a very high level that this is detrimental to their job performance. Uh, we need protection for uh, freedom of speech in employees. Uh, institutions, again, I would place as secondary. Uh, I don't think universities should be free, again, to impose woke values on their staff, to impose uh, political litmus tests like diversity, equity, and inclusion statements on staff before they're allowed to be employed. That should be prevented by a, a, a government regulator who should step in and essentially say that's a violation of the academics' freedom. Um, so I, I believe that government has a role in restricting the freedom of institutions and trying to reform them in order to free up individuals. Um, it's also, I think, extremely important that we tackle political discri uh, discrimination in these institutions, uh, which is rampant, anti-conservative political disc uh, discrimination. For example, um, just in surveys I've done of UK universities, I found that one in three British academics would not hire an own Brexit supporter. In the US, 40% of American social science and humanities academics would not hire an own Trump supporter for a job. Many other studies have shown similar levels of discrimination in terms of refereeing papers, promotion applications, and so on. Political discrimination, discrimination on the basis of political belief should not be tolerated in institutions and also is already recognized by the courts as a protected belief. And I think we need to actually lean into that idea of political belief as being a protected characteristic. Um, and that then means that institutions will have to take account of the fact uh, if they are practicing political discrimination, then that is going to be something that government can go after them for. Um, 
Also, by the way, if they have an equity and diversity program that's only interested in race and gender, I think it is legitimate to say anything you do on race and gender equity, anything you do on anti-discrimination uh, must be matched by similar measures on political equity and dis- anti-discrimination. I think that's a legitimate principle, and I think that would have a massive effect. I also think that uh, conservatives... Uh, 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 need- Eric, yeah. um, do you think you could bring it to a conclusion for me, please? Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, so I, I guess I see the... If, if you look at the Federalist Society and the U.S. Supreme Court, the way they organize the policy network, the way they scrutinize legislators, the way they work to get their people in... That is something that conservatism has to get better at, placing its people in these government bureaucracies in order to not only change policy, but institute those changes. So to conclude, I've argued that conservatives need to work with liberals uh, against the looming threat from cultural socialism. This is about implementing reforms that are very congenial to liberalism, the idea of opposing political discrimination, uh, opposing threats to free speech, and creating a space for conservatism, which is being foreclosed right now by anti-conservative bias. And this is this means decentering the idea of equality of outcome for protected identity groups, decentering the notion that equity is the only thing that matters in culture, and actually saying, yes, equity is one value, but it's one value alongside others, such as national pride, social cohesion, excellence, freedom, and tradition. So again, to conclude, what I'd argue is for a liberal post-liberalism that works with negative liberty, with centrist liberals on our common challenges. Thank you.